0: Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation.
1: God be the glory, but yeah, that's like a score, you know, to, to be able to help people understand that, the, that understanding the Bible, becoming biblically literate, is practical. It is Super helpful for the Christian life.
0: Throw out a buzzword, it's relevant. Like, you know, all these people are like, we want to make, you got to have, you got to be relevant. You got to preach, it's got to be relevant. You know, well, what's the most relevant thing? Do you know your Bible?
2: And then the point, though, was so that then when they have their devotions, it can put it on a hook. Exactly. That, so that's how it's super relevant, super helpful, practical. Yes. Yeah, and you know it's kind of funny because I was trying to set you up for dispensationalism there, and then you went and did that whole thing.
0: Well, I was I was going to go there too. We're going to get there.
2: Just a testimony. When I
3: was in college, uh, when I was out of high school before I started college, I was in that like just working full time. Me and three friends showed up at Sunday school, and our teacher was sick, so this medical doctor who was in our church showed up to sub, and uh, he wasn't prepared because he just came in. We were meeting at like a Hardy's offsite, and uh, he's like, "What do you guys want to talk about?" And we were just kind of sitting there. I don't know. And He's like, have you guys ever been through the Bible timeline? And all three of us were like, what's that? And so he pulled out his study of Bible, and we just walked through the timeline. And I remember having an aha moment, like, I don't know this stuff. This is so helpful. And I was like 19 at the time. So
0: Well, I think, too, it's interesting when we all work at faith, and we interact with a lot of Bible college and seminary students. And I think sometimes they take for granted And I'll put myself in the same category because I was a student and I was exactly like this. Just because they're a Bible college student, they take for granted that they know more than they actually do. And what's interesting is uh, a question I ask all the time is I ask them, uh, what's in Deuteronomy 1? And no one can tell me. And, well, it's the law. It's the second giving of the law to Israel. Okay, what does Moses mention in Deuteronomy 1? And they like never can tell me. I said, okay, go back to like numbers. Like what's like the big thing that happens? And eventually they land on the 12 spies. Well, they sent in the spies and then they came back and there's a bad report and 40 years in the wilderness. And and then I say, okay, is that anywhere else in the Bible? And then they're like, I don't know. And guess what's in Deuteronomy 1? Moses goes right back to the 12 spies. That's why they've wandered for 40 years. It's because they didn't believe and they didn't go in. And I have, I've had one, one guy who knew that off the cuff. And that's not to slight any of them, but it's just that, especially in the Old Testament, we take for granted that we really know what's there. And there's just a lot of history and it's important. That's why they recorded it and we need to know it, but a lot of us don't. So taking that vein, like the Old Old Testament, and that's going to get us into this word that mr pre-modern over here throughout dispensationalism so walk me through what what is that define dispensationalism and can you just connect the dots like what does that have to do with sound hermeneutics
1: yeah you know um i think like a lot of the typical people in in churches and I, i it sounds demeaning um I'm not trying to do that, but I think a lot of people in our churches think of dispensationalism as kind of like a chart of like seven different epics and things, you know, eras and things like that. And really, at at the root, dispensationalism is not about the seven dispensations or five dispensations, however many different dispensations that you have. It's really about how you approach Scripture and being consistent in interpreting Scripture. So, um, like, just a personal testimony, what's kept me in the fold of being a dispensationalist. I mean, a lot of people are leaving dispensationalists, but the, the thing that, that keeps me in the fold of dispensationalism is like when I read, especially the Old Testament, you know, you read through the book of Isaiah, or you, or you read through Jeremiah or Ezekiel, and you're like, there just, the, you know, many passages like that, and you say, so much is on the table here that has not yet been fulfilled, and I believe that that God is going to be, is going to literally, or, you know, the the, the authorial intent of what these things have been said are going to be ultimately fulfilled. So to me, um, just, I would say like an honest reading of the Old Testament drives me towards dispensationalism, where we say God is not yet done with Israel. God is going to actually fulfill his promises to, completely to the nation of Israel in the future. Um, So it's, if I could say it like this, dispensationalism is a is a, it's a theological system that has a consistent hermeneutic that sees a future for the nation of Israel.
0: And so, maybe bring me across the bridge here. So, where where does it br- like you say it's a consistent a consistent hermeneutic? Yeah. How do how do other approaches break down in their
1: consistency? Right. Almost all of their systems of hermeneutics at some level have a form of what's called supersessionism, where the church replaces Israel at some level. Now, some people don't really like that. They don't they, they it almost sounds to them like it's like an anti-Semitic slur or something like that. I don't mean it like that. What I mean it is is that they see the church as fulfilling the promises to Israel somehow. And so what they do hermeneutically is they take New Testament passages and they prioritize them over and kind of trump Old Testament passages. It's called New Testament prioritization. Whereas I would say this, the New Testament wasn't written in a vacuum. It actually was written... In the context of the Old Testament. So, uh, when we talk about, let's just take maybe like a really important topic like the kingdom of God in the Gospels, we don't redefine the kingdom of God suddenly in the Gospels. When, when Jesus says, or John the Baptist says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, that's not like we just suddenly have a spiritual kingdom that's going to come and it's called the church. What they both meant, what they both intended, is what is called what is the kingdom in the Old Testament. So what I would say is actually what dispensationalists say is what I, I, what I would use is what's called a testament priority of the Old Testament prioritization. The New Testament needs to be interpreted in the context of the Old Testament. So the meaning of things in the Old Testament doesn't change.
2: That's beautiful. I love it when the New Testament guy, you know, he supports the Old Testament. It's like, hmm, maybe we if we want to know the New Testament really well, we should really know the Old Testament. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm just uh <clears throat> i I hope maybe someday to say i pastored for twenty seven years. I made it like three before I came to faith to work here, and uh a, there's something there's a something happened in our church there where uh there was a theological issue which really just came down to a knowledge of the Old Testament. And it's that problem exactly where they interact with the New Testament a lot, which isn't a problem, but then there's an assumption. And the the foundation of that assumption is bad hermeneutics. The assumption is, well, if this New Testament passage says X, then I have to use that to interpret promise in the Old Testament. And the solution to that issue was let's sit down and here's a handful of covenants in the Old Testament. And what did they mean to David? What did that mean to the nation of Israel? And you don't even touch the New Testament. What did that mean? And you come to a solid view of the Old Testament alone. And then you go to the New Testament and you're like, well, I can't, it can't mean that. Why? Because the Old Testament has already said this. And you, you kind of hinted at it. You, I think the way you said it was, there's a lot on the table that has not been fulfilled. Uh, th- kind of explain what you mean when you say that. Like, w- What are the things that you look at hermeneutically, dispensationally, that God promised that we're expecting to still
1: happen? Right. So the foundation, or maybe like you want to say like the biblical architecture for Old Testament prophecies is, is founded on the covenants. So... Right out of the, you know, like one of the key covenants is the Abrahamic covenant. You know what? In, in Abraham's lifetime, he barely saw the beginning of one of the promises where his son Isaac was born. That was just the very beginning of it. And I would say that the church participates in that covenant now when we have Gentiles and, and everybody's, we're, we're all children of, of Abraham. But the, the thing is, a lot of the land promises, a lot of the national promises to Israel still have yet to be completely fulfilled. Um, I'll give you one illustration. I was preaching through Isaiah 40, and I read 10 commentaries, and all of them are like amillennial, and just they're just interpreting this in a cheesy way that these are the church is fulfilling these things in Isaiah 40. We're talking about the Lord, you know, the Israel, Mount Zion, all this kind of stuff, and I'm thinking, none of these are close. I finally found a commentary that was more premillennial. And Which would, one was it? I think it was in the, the New American Commentary series. Smith, yep. And, and so I read this. I don't know if he's dispensational, but I think he's pre-millennial. And I'm like, finally, someone is actually getting close to what I think this passage means. So, I mean, if you, if you were to preach through the book of Isaiah and not see the future kingdom coming, you would have to skew, I would say probably two-thirds of the entire book would be, would be mangled because you'd be trying to cram it and fit it into the church. Um, and I, I preached on 2 Corinthians in a church not too long ago. And I preached on 2 Corinthians 1. Uh, and I, it was like, you know, where it's, it's, that, it's that verse. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ, yea and amen. And Tom Schreiner, in his commentary, he just says, this means that all the promises to Israel are fulfilled. And I'm thinking that's, that. if you think about that logically, it's directly opposite Horrendous. of what the verse actually is saying.
0: Yes, that ignores, grossly ignores the context of the Corinthian letters in Paul. Like, it, yeah, but we don't need to get into that. Um, but yes, so uh, we, we, I hate to say this, but we kind of need to wind ourselves. We, we don't, we didn't want to give, I mean, if you want a course on hermeneutics or dispensationalism, you can come and take that. You can even do it remotely, online through our seminary. Absolutely. And so, we don't want to give you too much to chew on. We definitely want you to give you things to think about. Stearns, you have a question, and then I'll kind of th- walk through these end questions. It's actually more of
3: a comment. Oh, But go if for we it. need yeah. to cut it for this, it's a story comment. Is that okay? Tell a story. So I, I still have I still have I one more story to tell. A, so, just advice for students: if you are in a class and you're asked to write a research paper and you don't know what to write, don't ask the professor for s- options. So, I did this in a class on advanced pneumatology and I asked the professor at another school an idea, and he just gave me this idea, and I wrote the paper and found out he was an expert at that, and I got destroyed. And then I was taking a class on the Old Testament's use or the New Testament's use of the Old Testament at Central, and I didn't know what to write, and so I asked my teacher, Doctor Doug, what should I write on? He's like, well, you could write on Second Corinthians six. I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, I, you know, I, I've, I've you know studied this before, and. I know what it means, but I'm not going to tell you, and I, and I wrote the paper, and I found out you're like an expert on that passage, <laughs> and he emptied a red pen on my paper. So, well, I students, that. just pick something your teacher doesn't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to learn, if you actually want to learn, then they're going to teach you something. You may think you learned something as you wrote the paper, but you'll learn a lot more when you get it back.
0: So, that kind of thing happened in my Greek 4 class, where we do an, a project in Ephesians, And in Ephesians 4, there's the he who descended also ascended passage and uh, quotes Psalm 68. So I remember this because I, I, Dr. Doug said in class to us was, this is a really difficult passage. So like, don't take it if if you don't want the challenge. And in my mind, you guys all knew me at that stage of life. I was (laughs) like, like, challenge (laughs) accepted, Dr. Doug. And uh, it was a difficult passage and I, it was, it was a struggle, but I learned a lot from it. So there's, there's good things that can happen from that too. Yep. The other story is, uh, well, Dr. Doug, can you tell us about your office here at Faith in the seminary building? Do you, have any, do you have any distinct comments about your office?
1: Well, I actually think it's one of the best offices on campus.
0: I would agree. Oh, this but one. <laughs> when, I,
1: when, when I got there, Jonathan Fuller and Charlie Carter shows up.
0: Reverend Jonathan Fuller.
1: And they presented me with a document that said that my office is actually their office. And underneath the carpet, they laminated a piece of paper that's kind of like a pseudo-certificate that says, all right, it's a certificate that says that they own this office and they're letting me use it as long as I'm here at Faith. Yeah. Didn't you put it under the floorboards?
0: It's, yeah, it's like, there's like a glue type of a thing that they put over... Uh, the floorboards to put the carpet down, and it's on the it's underneath of that glue. So like, it's gonna be there until that building's demoed. And it does say, in no uncertain terms, that the rightful owners of this office are Pastor Fuller and Pastor Carter. And but we will let you use it.
2: And you underneath. got that notarized by the president, or uh,
0: I actually I tried to get it notarized, and uh, it didn't happen. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have I have pictures and I have a certificate that's like it framed in my we office. We gave you him a framed one. It. So, yeah. yeah,
0: if you come take a field trip to Faith Seminary and you can see my office. And uh <clears throat> so, let's wind this down. Like I said, we didn't want to I think there's a lot of good comments in there about hermeneutics and dispensationalism. And uh
1: it's it's worth your time to think it through. Can I, can I just say one thing? Yeah. I mean, just just to do a shameless plug for the seminary. I teach two classes explicitly, well actually three classes now on this topic. One is Introduction to Biblical Exegesis, which is more about a hands-on how to get into the Bible without knowing the languages. And, it, you know, we go through Grasping God's Word, and we, we go through um, some of the—I I would just say it's like an introductory class, but it's, it's difficult, but you get into that.
2: I would just—I've uh, encouraged people to take this class on multiple occasions. My wife took it even a year or two ago. It was immensely helpful for her, uh, to, and it really just equipped her to better study her Bible. So this would be a great class to take, even just audit if you have a bachelor's degree and it uh, comes around every May. Yeah, and I've had people who don't even have
1: a bachelor's degree. You, just, you can just come in as a layperson and take the class for you know very simple uh, uh, conference audit. It's very inexpensive. Then hermeneutics is a little bit more in-depth and um, there are some still hands-on kinds of things, but I'm really trying to introduce you to a broader field of what herme- what's going on in the world of hermeneutics. And then I just, I also have another class on, um, on the more preaching side, of things. And actually, this is, uh, if I could say this, we've actually, it's, 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 it's it, we call it expository messages because we we're trying to teach what exposition is. Now, I just want to be very clear, we don't at faith endorse women going into pastoral ministry, but we do think that women should learn exposition. And so we allowed women to take this class. To learn the same skills of what exposition should be all about, so they can do ladies' Bible studies and/or devotionals and things like that in a re- in a responsible way, how to handle the Word of God, and so um, that's a, it's a class that everybody could take.
0: So, kind of in that vein, we the, kind of the big ideas here were hermeneutics and dispensationalism. We we talk a lot about books. So, uh, what would what would you say would be some really helpful you can kind of give me some layers so maybe like an introductory hermeneutical book maybe like a middle and then maybe like an advanced like give me some some titles if you if you can think of any
1: yeah um like i i, I think like if you if if if, you, if you're at like the super basic um new christian level there's a book by uh, by Dan Estes, I, I, the title of it is kind of slipping me right now, but it's just on like how to study the Bible for yourself, it just like, it, it just kind of gets you into to, to the basics of how to study the Bible, and it's going to give you like the real super basics, it's it's a, published by RBP, and I've used that booklet, it's just, it's actually a really good, and I think they just redid it, they actually, there's a second edition coming out, um, so that that would be one of them, it's like how to study the Bible for yourself, or something like that. Um, I I think like at the college level, uh, I really like grasping God's word. I think that it is
3: a really good book. Um, did you come up with the title? Yeah, it's Living and Learning God's Word: How to Study the Bible by Daniel J. Estes. And we use that in like a Bible study class we, at our church once. Right? Yes. Yeah. do not we use that? Because yes. we are going to use Grasping God's Word, and you may be prepared to teach Grasping God's Word, and then at the last minute, you changed it on me. It was so. That was a good one. <laughs>
0: bitterness bitterness
2: and it's learning and living god's word not living and learning it's learning and living
1: sorry about that um and then uh uh, like a book on dispensationalism maybe it would be a good one to just kind of how to begin to there's a book by uh, uh, michael vlock called uh, dispensationalism it's like basic beliefs and myths or something like that. It's like dispelling different, certain myths that are out there. And it's, it's about a hundred pages, but it really is helpful to kind of help people see. Cause what I have found is that most people who don't know anything about dispensationalism criticize it and they don't really understand it. And so if they just had a little bit of knowledge of it, it would be helpful for them to realize that, you know, they're, they're usually criticizing a caricature of what they think dispensationalism is rather than the real deal.
0: Something interesting about Vlach I just learned, is that he is a Nebraska Cornhusker fan, which definitely changed my view of him. However, his books are exceptional. His books are exceptional. Uh, I haven't read the one you just mentioned, but the Has the Church Replaced Israel by Vlach is a really, really good book. We're, we'll walk through dispensational principles too. So uh, any other any other books, hermeneutics, dispensationalism that you think would be uh, a 10, uh, uh, you got to get this and read it.
1: You know, there is no perfect book on, on hermeneutics. Um, I really think like a Zuck's book, Basic Bible Interpretation, as from a dispensational point of view, is a really good one. I think that Duval and Hayes are closet dispensationalists. Um, and they talk about interpreting things in the right covenant, and that gets you closer to a dispensational understanding of Scripture. Um, but... Uh, you know, all of them have something to offer, but none of them are perfect.
0: We're going to wind it down here. We're going to send off Dr. Brown with some thank yous. We're very thankful that you're here. We, we went a whole season with no guests, and we started brainstorming who are some guys that we would like to have on this podcast, and even going way back to before we even recorded, you and I have been talking about this. They graciously allow us this beautiful, spacious hole in the basement
2: Freezing cold.
0: We call it the dungeon, but we are in the seminary building. And uh, thank you for letting us do this down here. And thank you for being here. And so I'll start our, our thank yous and send offs by saying this. And, and this was my, um, when, when Dr. Myron passed away, this was my takeaway, like as I thought through it. Um, so a lot of people would share like a moment as like a very important thing. And my takeaway with Dr. Myron was, you know, I don't remember a moment but I know that it was a constant trickle of his influence in my life that helped me get to where I am now. And uh, I would say the exact same thing of you, Dr. Brown, that uh, from seeing me at a very low maturity uh, and then to still uh, not high maturity, but hopefully greater than it was then, um, you've, you've influenced my life for seven, eight years consistently. And I'm really thankful that the ways you've taught me to study the word have have seeped into a lot of the practices I have. And I'm really thankful for that. Uh, I did pay you a lot of money for it. So, you know, (laughs) I I paid my school bill. So it's not like you gave me a free gift, but uh, you you invested a lot of time in me and I'm thankful for that. So thanks for being here.
3: I really appreciate your ministry in my life. And I think I would look different if I hadn't had classes with you, specifically in how to handle the word. And now I'm teaching classes on uh, how for people how to learn how to handle the word. So I really appreciate that, but I think that if I had to think of what is the one thing I'm really thankful for, I think I would steal my wife's comment about you is that you're probably one of the most genuine people we've ever met. You're, you don't, you never come off fake. You're always genuinely kind and interested in all people. And uh, we really appreciate that about you and your ministry. And I think that students see that in the classroom. I saw that in the classroom. and I even am genuine. I'm thankful you were so genuine that you introduced me to Panceros on multiple occasions. I remember actually being at the one in Urbandale and you walked me through block diagramming in Colossians 3. And that was just the best burrito and best block diagramming session I've ever had. I've never
0: heard that. That is incredible. I love yeah. that. Did he use like a burrito in some no. way as an illustration? <laughs> like you see the rice and the beans here. This No, is but you... I'm pretty
3: sure I got like... Uh, salsa on my MacBook at the time, which was white. That's how long ago this was. It was one of those Yikes. old white G4s or whatever.
2: Uh, my relationship with you has been a little bit different. You're technically my boss. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: love, I love that you said technically like you don't actually believe that.
2: Well, he is my boss, but we have Man, there it is. <laughs> a relationship that it's not like he's overbearing or anything. He basically just lets me do whatever I want. <laughs> and um, and that's a level of trust that you know um that we have, so it's kind of interesting over the years uh, um how our paths have just kind of stayed together at the same church and and the area that really is um where I'm most thankful for you at least right now is actually as a pastor and how he's pastoring my my children, um particularly my oldest has just entered the youth ministry. And it's so uh, encouraging to see my eldest son grow in his relationship with the Lord. And, of course, my wife and I, we try to encourage that. But having a youth pastor that really emphasizes spiritual maturity uh, is rare. And so that's the area that I think I'm most thankful for that comes to mind right now. So thank you.
0: We like to close with a little devotional thought. So, Dr. Brown, would you... Close off uh, our our series here with a little devotion for us
1: well first of all, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me to come This has been fun and uh, i'm i I'm glad I could be your guys as professors but I, I also value your friendships mm-hmm. and I'm just glad we can minister together and I go to church with you guys I, Charlie we don't go to church together but just just the fact that we can kind of do ministry together it's just fun it's just great it's just that these are the these are what real joyful relationships are all about um so what has been fresh in my mind is hebrews chapter one and the fact that jesus is better than anything Hmm. um in that chapter he talks about the fact that jesus is better than the angels but really as the book develops you're going to find out that jesus is superior to everything and in, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, he talks about the fact that he's the pinnacle of revelation, verses 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. God has revealed himself through Jesus, and we get to know God because we know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that first little introductory prologue in verse, four, or verse, verse four, 4 and 5, he talks about the fact that Jesus has received a name that is better than any name of any of the angels. And what's the name? Son. And what you find out is that that son is really a title for the Messiah. He's the king. And so Jesus is better. And I just, it, to me, it just reminds me, it's an invitation to give up all of our earthly idols, to give up everything that competes with Jesus in our lives, and to realize that when we when we look to Jesus and we're faithful to him, try to be faithful to him as, as faithful as he is to us, that you know he can satisfy all of our desires, he can satisfy all of our wants, and go way beyond what we can even imagine. Hmm. and so I just just have been thinking about contemplating the superiority of Jesus, and so to me it's it's a it's, it's like when you get your eyes focused on Christ, everything else comes into focus. Mm-hmm. Everything else in life starts to make more sense. And so, um, you know, I mean, I, there's a million ways you could apply that. And I just, I just think, just remember that Jesus is better.